Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome to another blood-curdling episode of American Hauntings, the podcast hosted and produced by Cody Beck and written and performed by Troy Taylor. That's me. I always try to be a little funny and a little sarcastic in my opening. It's fun to do a little Hollywood gumshoe slash crime noir for the start of each episode, but when it comes to some of the murders and ghost stories we'll be covering in the next eight or nine episodes, it's kind of hard to be funny. Now, don't get me wrong, each episode is supposed to be about the dark side of Hollywood, the movie capital of the world where it's supposed to be all palm trees, swimming pools, and movie stars all the time, until it isn't. This is another of those crimes that it seems impossible to believe that it happened. It's so depraved and so evil, it really makes you wonder about the people you pass by on the street. It's the first in a two-part episode in this season about Los Angeles, a city of fallen angels. The season started with episode 70 and will end at some point, but I don't know when. But each episode delves into Hollywood crime, corruption, murder, and of course, ghosts. But remember that the episodes in this season may not be suitable for all listeners, especially this one. So listen at your own risk. Watch the mail for ransom notes, lock all the doors, and make sure the kids are safe as we unveil a new episode of American Hauntings. On December 15, 1927, 12-year-old Marion Parker and her twin sister Marjorie left home on a Thursday to attend Mount Vernon Junior High School in Arlington, an affluent new suburb on the west side of Los Angeles. Following their usual routine, the girls boarded a streetcar at the corner of Wilton Place and Venice Boulevard. 
On their way to school that morning, Marion and Marjorie enjoyed the ride on the streetcar, but Marjorie would later recall, we were sitting together in one of the seats when a man drove by the car at about 3rd Avenue and Venice Boulevard. He smiled at us several times and motioned to us to get off the car and go with him. Well, we looked the other way, but finally saw him turn off at 4th Avenue. Earlier that morning, Lorna Littlejohn, a schoolmate of the twins, saw the same man sitting in a small coupe parked at 16th Street and Wilton Place, which was about a block from the Parker home at 1631 South Wilton Place. Unfortunately, this recollection would come far too late to save Marion Parker. Just after the noon hour, the same man walked confidently into the office at Mount Vernon Junior High and approached Mary Holt, the school registrar. When the principal, Cora Freeman, was out, Mrs. Holt took charge as the administrator. She was responsible for making decisions and, by all accounts prior to December 15th, was very strict about the rules, especially when it came to strangers visiting the building and inquiring about the children of whom she was in charge of in the principal's absence. Well, when the young man walked in, he explained that he worked with Perry Parker, Marion and Marjorie's father, at the bank, that Parker had been seriously injured in an automobile accident, and he was calling for his daughter. Mrs. Holt was confused. There were two Parker girls at the school. The man explained that Parker wanted his, quote, younger daughter. Well, of course, there was no younger daughter. The girls were twins, and Mrs. Holt knew that. This should have alerted her to the fact that something was amiss, but it didn't. Do you mean Marion? She asked the man, who she later described as very neat and well-dressed with dark wavy hair. Yes, yes, ma'am, that's her name, he replied. The stranger didn't know her name. He didn't even know she had a sister. He only knew that Perry Parker had a daughter because he'd seen her at the bank where her father worked. But his cool, collected confidence convinced Mrs. Holt that he was telling the truth. He was so well-mannered and calm that even the usually strict Mrs. Holt was won over by his charm. After he suggested that she call the bank and check on his story, well, she was convinced. Following Mrs. Holt's instructions, an assistant named Naomi Britton called Marion from her classroom at 12.13 p.m., just as class was about to be dismissed. In the office, the young man explained to the girl why he was there and told her he'd come to take her to the hospital. He lightly touched her on their arm when he spoke to her and Marion left with him, showing no hesitation. She'd been to the bank so often that perhaps she recognized him when she saw him. We'll never really know for sure. What is known is that the young man walked her to a roadster that was parked outside and courteously opened the passenger door for her. And that was the last time that anyone saw Marion alive. After school, Marjorie waited for her sister outside the building. They always went home on the streetcar together. It was unusual for Marjorie to come home alone, but her parents were initially alarmed. Geraldine and Perry assumed that Marion had a good reason for being late. She'd likely stayed behind to help her teacher clean up the classroom. Well, they had no reason to worry, but Perry Parker still decided to call the school office. By this time, it was 4.45 p.m. and it was getting late. It would be dark soon and he knew Marion did not like to be out alone in the evening. It would be a good idea, he thought, if he just drove over and picked her up himself. He called the number that connected him to the school office. Mrs. Holt answered the phone. Parker greeted her and identified himself. Well, Mrs. Holt was shocked to hear from Parker and asked how he was feeling. He said he was fine. Assuming Mrs. Holt was offering a kind greeting, he responded in the same way and then asked if Marion was still at school. It was late and he was going to drive over and pick her up. 
Well, Mrs. Holt asked if she had come home with the quote, man you sent to pick her up. Parker was confused. Mrs. Holt explained the situation and a chill went through Parker as he heard about the family friend, the accident, and Marion's departure from the school several hours before with a man he didn't know. Well, that cold chill turned to anger and worry. I was not in any accident and I did not send anyone to pick up Marion from school, he snapped. Parker had been home from work the entire day. He'd taken time off to spend with his wife. It was his 40th birthday. Now the Parkers had reason to worry. Panicked and upset, he stammered a quick explanation to his wife. He needed to call the police. Just as he started to dial the telephone, the doorbell rang. He found a Western Union telegram delivery waiting on his doorstep. The wire had been sent from Pasadena two hours earlier, and it read, Do positively nothing till you receive special delivery letter. Marion Parker. Bewildered and concerned, Perry followed the orders doing nothing. The next communication he received was not a letter, though. It was another telegram. This one had been sent from Alhambra, California, and it read, Marion secure. Use good judgment. Interference with my plans. Dangerous. And it was signed George Fox. Well, the name meant nothing to Perry or Geraldine Parker, but it dashed any hope that their daughter had sent the first wire on her own. Parker feared they were dealing with a kidnapper. He was uncertain about what the man wanted, but was terrified to think of his child in a cruel stranger's hands. Nothing in his life had prepared Parker for anything like this, but his two and a half decades in the banking business had taught him to keep a clear head under pressure. He wasted no time in calling the principal's office at Mount Vernon Junior High, and then he contacted the police. A pair of detectives drove out to the house on South Wilton Place. Law enforcement officials quickly circulated a detailed description throughout the state of California of the man that Marjorie and Mary Holt described. They believed he was Marion's kidnapper. The description read, an American, 25 to 30 years of age, five feet, eight inches in height, slender build, thin features, smooth shaven, medium complexion, dark brown hair, which is oily and wavy, apparently well-educated, speaks good English, wears a heavy brownish gray herringbone overcoat, dark gray hat, and dark suit. He's driving a dark colored coupe or convertible roadster with a spare tire on the rear. This hastily compiled description would prove to be very close to the mark with one notable discrepancy. Marion's abductor was much younger than the witnesses believed. The detectives were still at the Parker home two hours later when a special delivery letter arrived. It demanded $1,500 for the return of Parker's daughter and warned him, belatedly, about the involvement of the police. The note had been written by hand in block letters and was headed by the word death with a Greek letter delta in place of the D. The paltry sum demanded by the kidnapper mystified police detectives. Rarely did a kidnapper ever ask for less than five figures. In addition to the word death at the top of the page, he had signed it with the word fate in oversized letters and then added George Fox for good measure. The letter read, PM Parker, use good judgment. You are the loser, do this. Secure $75, $20 gold certificates, U.S. currency, $1,500 at once. Keep them on your person. Go about your business as usual. Leave out police and detectives. Make no public notice. Keep this affair private. Make no search. 
Fulfilling these terms with the transfer of currency will secure the return of the girl. Failure to comply with these requests means no one will ever see the girl again, except the angels in heaven. The affair must end one way or the other within three days, 72 hours. You will receive further notice, but the terms remain the same. Fate. If you want aid against me, ask God, not man. The kidnapper had also included a letter from Marion in the envelope. Dear Daddy and Mother, I wish I could come home. I think I'll die if I have to be like this much longer. Won't someone tell me why all this had to happen to me? Daddy, please do what the man tells you or he'll kill me if you don't. Your loving daughter, Marion Parker, P.S. Please, Daddy, I want to come home tonight. Well, it was clearly too late for the Parkers to leave out the police and detectives, but they made a bargain with the LAPD to keep quiet about the kidnapping, releasing no information to the press. That way, with any luck at all, the authorities might have a chance to get a lead on the kidnapper and rescue Marion. Meanwhile, Perry Parker began following the abductor's instructions by collecting $1,500 in $20 bills. The ransom demand was strange, almost meaningless, and this puzzled the detectives. But Perry Parker was taking no chances with his daughter's life. He would pay the demand, ignoring the advice of detectives, if only Fate or George Fox or whatever his name was would tell him when and where. Well, there was no sleep for Perry and Geraldine on Thursday night as they attempted to convince each other that Marion would be fine. Parker paced the floor, waiting for the telephone to ring. On Friday, December 16th, Parker went to work as fate had ordered him to do and returned home again that afternoon to find there was still no word about Marion. The police had visited Marion's school and questioned Mary Holt. They had a description of the kidnapper, but could not share it with the press. As for the dark automobile, it could be anywhere. Los Angeles was already a city on wheels with thousands of cars on the streets. Without a license number, the police could never hope to trace one particular automobile. Three times on Friday afternoon, the telephone rang at the Parker house, but there was no one on the line when Perry answered. There was only the hiss of an open line for a moment, followed by a click and a dial tone. Finally, at 8 p.m., the telephone rang for the fourth time. This time, when Parker picked it up, a male voice said, I'll call back in five minutes. Nearly a half hour passed before the telephone rang again. Parker, his nerves pushed to their limits, immediately snatched up the receiver. It was the same voice, asking him if he had the money. He did. Parker was told to leave the house immediately and alone, drive north on Wilton Place to 10th Street, turn right onto 10th and park on Gramercy. If he obeyed these instructions to the letter, someone would approach his car and trade his daughter for cash. The banker followed the orders, carrying the thick stack of cash in his pocket and taking the route that had been dictated by the caller. He parked on Gramercy, dimmed his headlights, and waited for the kidnapper to arrive. After waiting for a half hour, desperately watching each passing car and staring at every pedestrian that passed by him, Parker began to worry that something had gone wrong. He sat and waited until 11.45 p.m. before he finally gave up and drove home. It was only when he arrived back at the house that Parker learned that he'd been followed by the police. They had his home staked out, prepared for anything. Detectives believed that if they could spot the kidnapper when he retrieved the ransom, they could trail him to his hideout, or if Marion was freed on the street, they could arrest him on the spot. Several carloads of officers had followed Parker to the meeting spot surrounding the area, and the kidnapper quickly realized the trap and didn't show himself. 
the botched ransom exchange had shaken things up considerably, and it was no longer possible to keep the story out of the newspapers. News of the abduction broke on Saturday morning with a front page story in the Los Angeles Times. The story described Marion as she'd looked when she left home and also offered the description that Mary Holt had given of the kidnapper and his car. There were also confident quotes from Chief of Detectives Herman Klein, who stated that Marion's safety was the major concern of the department. It was only a matter of time, he said, before she was returned home and her kidnapper was apprehended. Klein, who was nicknamed Hard-Boiled Herman, was a classic 1920s L.A. detective, the kind of man who influenced later movie portrayals of tough guy cops. He was hard as nails and a no-nonsense sort and had a habit of steamrolling through cases to successful conclusions. Taking a keen interest in the plight of Marion Parker, he stated that scores of detectives had been shifted from their other duties to focus on the Parker case. He was receiving full cooperation from all detective and police forces in the Los Angeles area, including working closely with fellow chief of detectives George Contreras. Contreras, like Klein, was a tough character with an inside knowledge of the streets of L.A. With these two men on the case, everyone believed Marion's rescue was only a matter of time. Well, the police stated they still believed that someone close to the Parker family had perpetrated the kidnapping. They based this on the fact that the stranger knew that Parker worked at the bank, that he had a daughter, and where she went to school. The Parkers, however, could not comprehend that as a possibility. They couldn't believe that anyone they knew would put their daughter in peril. Well, the police believed otherwise. Even so, Herman Klein insisted that Marion would be returned unharmed and that the kidnapper would be caught. He was sure that everything would go as planned. Perry Parker worried, though. He heard nothing on the night that the police had clumsily followed him to the ransom drop, but he was no more upset than Marion's kidnapper. On Saturday morning, a special delivery envelope arrived at the Parker home with two letters folded inside. The first was again headed death with the now familiar Greek D and an arrow pointing down to the next line that said death approaching nearer each and every hour. The letter itself was angry and threatening. The kidnapper had seen the police cars that had followed Perry Parker to the ransom drop, but the kidnapper still wanted the money. He wrote, if by 8 p.m. today you have not received my call, then hold a quiet funeral service at your cemetery without the body on Sunday the 18th. Only God knows where the body of Marion Parker would rest in this event. Not much effort is needed to take her life. She may pass out before 8 p.m. So I could not afford to call you and ask you for your $1,500 for a lifeless mass of flesh. I am base and low, but I won't stoop to that depth, especially to an ungrateful person. When I call, if I call, I'll tell you where to go and how to go. So if you go, don't have your friends following. Pray to God for forgiveness for your mistake last night. Become honest with yourself and your blood. If you don't come in this good, clean, honest way and be square with me, that's all. Fate, Fox. If you want aid against me, ask God, not man. There was also a note enclosed with the kidnapper's angry letter. It was from Marion. Dear Daddy and Mother, Daddy, please don't bring anyone with you today. I'm sorry for what happened last night. We drove right by the house and I cried all last night. If you don't meet us this morning, you will never see me again. Love to all, Marion Parker. The angry tone of the letter had Perry Parker fearing the worst. He was frantic with worry and contacted Chief of Detectives Klein, insisting that he be allowed to act alone. He did not want another botched ransom drop to result in his daughter being hurt or worse, killed. 
Well, Klein was skeptical about allowing Parker to go alone to meet the kidnapper, but he agreed. Later that day, a second special delivery envelope arrived. It again contained two letters. The first one, written by the kidnapper, had a weary but patient tone. It seemed that his initial letter had allowed him to blow off some steam. The second letter was more understanding, although with Marion still missing, there was still an ominous undercurrent. The letter read, P.M. Parker, please recover your senses. I want your money rather than to kill your child, but so far you give me no other alternative. Of course you want your child, but you'll never get her by notifying the police and causing all this publicity. I feel, however, that you started the search before you received my warning, so I'm not blaming you for the bad beginning. Remember the three-day limit and make up for this lost time. Dismiss all authorities before it is too late. I'll give you one more chance. Get that money the way I told you and be ready to settle. I'll give you a chance to come across and you will or Marion dies. Be sensible and use good judgment. You can't deal with a mastermind like a common crook or kidnapper. Fox, fate. If you want aid against me, ask God, not man. The second note in the envelope was not from Marion this time. Oddly, it was a second letter from the kidnapper. It once again bore the familiar death with a Greek letter D heading, and the author seemed determined to make his point. Also, through greed or simple stupidity, this issue had puzzled crime writers for years. He either escalated the ransom or merely confused $20 bills with $100 notes. He wrote, P.M. Parker, Fox is my name. Very sly, you know. No traps. I'll watch for them. All the inside guys, even your neighbor, Isidore B., know that when you play with fire, there is cause for burns. Not W.J. Burns, a reference to a leading private detective from that era, or his shadow was either. Remember that. Get this straight. Remember that life hangs by a thread and I have a Gillette ready and able to handle the situation. Do you want the girl or the $7,500 gold certificates, U.S. currency? You can't have both and there's no other way out. Believe this and act accordingly. Before the day is over, I'll find out how you stand. I'm doing a solo, so figure on meeting the terms of Mr. Fox or else. Fate. If you want aid against me, ask God, not man. And there was still one more letter to come. When this one arrived, it was again headed by death, and this time a large hand-scrawled line also noted, quote, final chance terms. The badly numbered note read, Number one, have $1,500. That equals $75, $20 gold certificates, U.S. currency. Number two, come alone and have no other following or knowing the place of the meeting. Number four, bring no weapons of any kind. Number three, come in the Essex coach license number 544-995. Stay in the car. If I call, your girl will still be living. When you go to the place of the meeting, you will have a chance to see her. Then without a second's hesitation, you must hand over the money. The slightest pause or misbehavior on your part at this moment will be tragic. Seeing your daughter and transferring the currency will take only a moment. My car will then move slowly away from yours for about a block. You wait. When I stop, I will let the girl out. Then come and get her. Don't blunder. I have certainly done my part to warn and advise you. Fate. If you want aid against me, ask God, not man. Perry Parker was determined not to let anything get in the way of his daughter's rescue, but by the time he read this letter, the kidnapper had already sealed the fate of Marion Parker and his own. 
A few minutes after the little girl had written the second letter to her parents, the kidnapper had killed her. But of course, no one knew this at the time. Around sundown, the telephone rang again at the Parker home. It was the same male voice reminding Parker that his daughter's life was hanging in the balance. He had one final chance to pay the ransom. If he failed or if the police followed him to the scene, Marion would die. The banker stated that he understood the terms, so he was startled when the line suddenly went dead. It was 7.15 p.m. before the kidnapper called back. The time had come, he told Parker. He was to leave the house immediately and drive north on Wilton Place to 5th Street. He was to turn right at the intersection, drive another three blocks to the east, and park at the corner of Manhattan Place. His car was known and would be recognized. Parker left immediately. When he reached the rendezvous point, he switched off his engine and waited in the darkness. Manhattan Place was a residential neighborhood, mostly dark. Streetlights were few and far between in 1927. It was nearly 8.15 p.m. when the headlights flashed in Parker's rearview mirror and the dark roadster pulled up beside him. Parker recognized it as the same car that had passed by without stopping a few minutes earlier. The driver leaned across the front seat and in the dim light, Parker could see that he was disguised. He had some sort of cloth masking his lower face like a bandit in a cowboy film. A sawed-off shotgun nosed across the roadster's windowsill. The two muzzles aimed at Parker's face. You see this gun? The muffled voice of the stranger asked. I see it, Parker replied. Well, did you bring the money? Parker took the thick stack of bills from the pocket of his overcoat. Here it is, he said, holding it up so the kidnapper could see it. Give it to me, the masked man ordered him. Parker hesitated. Where's Marion, he asked. Right here, the kidnapper replied. She's asleep. As proof, he reached down with the hand not holding the shotgun and lifted a blanket. Parker could see his daughter's face, a pale shape in the shadows. Her eyes were open, but she did not speak. The kidnapper quickly covered her up again. All right, now the money, he growled. Parker handed over the money and asked if the man intended to give his daughter back. The kidnapper answered, yes, just as I said, wait here just a minute. How far are you going? Asked Parker, not far. The roadster eased forward just a couple of hundred feet. The brake lights flashed on. In the pale light, Parker saw the passenger door swing open and saw a bundle fall out onto the ground. The door then slammed shut and the automobile sped off into the night. Fearing a trick, Parker edged his car forward, peering over the dashboard to look at the place where the roadster had stopped. At first, he thought the object lying next to the curb was a bag of trash, but then he saw his daughter's pallid face and realized she was wrapped in a blanket. Parker braked but left his engine running as he jumped out of the car, stumbling in his haste. He fell down, scraping his hands on the pavement, and then scrambled forward to where his daughter was still lying prone against the curb. He called her name, but she didn't stir. Her eyes were open, but there was something dull and flat about them. And there was something wrong with her eyelashes, too, though he couldn't be sure at first just what it was. As he reached for his daughter, he whispered her name, but still no response. Parker peered closer. There was something wrong with her eyes. The child's face had been powdered, her hair combed and brushed. Her eyelids were tied open with bits of black thread. He swept his daughter up into his arms and realized the figure was too small to be Marion. He eased her limp body back to the pavement. Tears stung his eyes as he fumbled with the blanket, pulling aside one corner and then another. For one frozen moment, he could only stare in shock. And then he began to scream. His daughter felt small because her arms and legs were missing. 
With a loud, anguished cry, Perry Parker pulled the remains of his murdered and mutilated daughter to his chest and began to weep in agony. On the verge of a complete collapse, Perry Parker found a telephone and he called the chief of detectives, Herman Klein. Within minutes, the greatest manhunt in the city's history had begun. And this is just the beginning of the story. In our next episode, we'll hunt down the so-called Fox and discover the monster who committed one of the most depraved murders in LA history. He'll be going to the gallows, don't worry. But sadly, the murder left a tragic ghost of his young victim behind. And you'll have the rest of the story in just two weeks. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. And you look great. Okay. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) All right. Thanks for tuning in to the American Hauntings Podcast, the show where we discuss history, hauntings, legends, lore, and the dark side of American history. We are now in season five of the podcast, Haunted Hollywood. I'm your co-host, Cody Beck, and with me is my co-host, author, historian, crime buff, and the founder of American Hauntings, Mr. Troy Taylor. What's up, dude? Hello. God damn it. You're going to do that. You're going to go back. Was, was that episode one or two you did that? I was like yeah. hyping it up and you were just like. Hi. No. Yeah. Yeah. You just, oh, you just let me down. Well, oh. It always makes me think of that sweaty ball skit on Saturday yes. Night Live when they, yes. they go, hello. You know, <laughs> no, no, that is great. No, it's great. Yeah. Just build it up and then just fucking just bring them back down real quick. Um, oh, man. Okay. So we were just talking about this earlier. We. We've hung out recently. We did yeah. Dead of Winter. Yeah. Um, recorded a couple episodes. Yeah. Um, life is, I don't want to say normal. Getting closer to normal. Getting closer it to is. normal, right? Yeah. One year it in. Is. It is. Well, yeah. yeah, you'd think by now it ought to be. Yeah, I mean, but I it hope is so. literally, yeah, it's literally a year because our last event was the 14th of March. Well, yeah, yeah. The Ides of March, Eids, whatever. Yeah, that like was that. it. That's kind of yeah, where it's um, been. You know, everything's been weird for a year, but now things are starting to finally get. A little more normal. Yeah. Thank goodness. What do we have coming up or even virtually? Like, what well, we, we got? do, we've got both. I mean, I'm still doing those virtual events um, online because the live streams, I mean, we started them out of necessity, mm-hmm. uh, but we kept doing them They're because, fun. well, they are fun. And, you know, we get a lot of people that we would not ever, and I've said this a hundred times before, but we wouldn't get to see those people otherwise yep. on a regular basis. A lot of them are people who come to the conference and stuff, but some can't even do that. Yep. But we get people from all over the country who sign on to those things when we do them on Friday nights, you know. Um, and it's not every Friday night. It's it's I've been doing them about once a month. You know, I did uh, uh, go 
Ghosts and Gangsters recently. The next one, I believe, is the Grime Sisters, and I'm going to do something on Haunted Hotel Rooms. We were just talking about and, that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's... Um, That's awesome. You know, those have turned out to be a lot of fun, and I, I still enjoy doing them. But uh, we do have, finally, we have stuff that is open that we are able to do in person. Um, we've got brand new dinner and spirits events that are coming up in the next uh, couple of months now. Um, if you go, we set up a new website just for those events, uh, for the River Road Tours and for our dinner events. You bought another domain. I did. It's dinnerandspirits.com. So it's, it's kind of hard to not, you know, not have to. It was a pretty easy one. Dinner, so Dinnerandspirits.com. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And we've got one, uh, Hell Hath No Fury, the the women, ghosts and hauntings Ooh, yep, and things. Yep. And then I know it. Uh, I've got a demonic and sinister hauntings april 24th and then the bell witch and then mm-hmm. st louis exorcism again uh an evening with edgar Allan poe evening with the donner party which yeah. by the way my new book just came out uh, is, forlorn hope is that available for like pre-order yet or no it's available now right okay. yeah it is okay. available now at american hauntings well by the time we record or... this it will be it comes out on march 12th okay so well, where do they find that um american hauntings.net okay uh, you can find it right on there right on the front page and if you're on the facebook page you can find it on there too I am uh, really so, excited for this really yeah, depressing I, book. I really, well, you I really enjoyed you're it. so excited yeah, for it. Yeah, Lisa's mom said, uh, well, I was, and I am, and I am. Uh, Lisa's mom said that I should put a disclaimer on it. This is, do not read this in the wintertime. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. But honestly, Troy, I've never seen you so excited about a book, or, or so, I don't know if it's exciting. I've never seen you either so excited or so depressed to finish a book, but I know. I've never I, seen you so emotional yeah, about a book. It How is sucked that? to finish it because um, I was really it. enjoying writing that book. And, I, you know, I'd always been interested in the story sure. and everything that went along with it. And writing it was was a lot of, it was, I just really enjoy writing this book. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I was working hard to get them trapped in the Sierra Nevadas, you know, but <laughs> right. then once I got them there, I kept them there for quite a while, <laughs> you know, but then I couldn't, uh, once it was done, I mean, they had to be rescued at some point and, you know, the rest of them had to eat each other at some point. Some them, so, yeah. yeah. And so then I was finished and it was, uh, it was, yeah, it was kind of a sad day to finish the book. Yeah. But I did, I really did enjoy writing and I think people will really like it. Um, I'm some people, by the time you hear this, a lot of you, you know, who are, are interested in, or who normally buy books will have it already. Yeah. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed this one. I will have ordered it. I will not have read it. It'll be on my coffee table, <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. but it'll be there. Um, so, okay, you don't have to, I don't want any spoilers or anything like that, but I know you have some new things coming up, whatever, but do you know, what's the next one? Do you, do you know Well, yet? actually, I have had a secret project. I know, okay, I didn't on. know if that was the same no. thing. Oh, no, no, no. Okay. No, the Donner Party thing, I had Oh, been... no, 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 sorry, no, that's not, oh, sorry, yeah. I didn't know if you had a secret project and another book, or if a secret oh, project a, was the it book. It is a book. The uh, secret is project See, is a book. See, people, I make a podcast with this man, and I don't even fucking know what's going <laughs> on. Lisa didn't even know. Yeah, Lisa doesn't even she know. Had, she guessed it because I posted a photo you did. There and, was Swiss and, cheese, which I, saw, I actually well, that commented. It was just like a cheese box sitting in my office. And everybody kept kept saying, well, does it have anything to do with the hand inside that cabinet? It's like, that's a reflection okay. of can, my hand Can typing. I make a guess right yeah. here? Sure, you can make a guess. Is it Ed Gein? No. God, how many times did I have to say that? That was the most prominent thing I know, but, in your photo. I know. Though. Well, but why would I use that? I, Why would I use the most obvious thing? I guess people Swiss kept guessing cheese. it, and I kept saying, "No, no, that's not it." And then oh, someone else would it? guess it. Yeah. Oh, I didn't yeah, look like at the 50 comments. Fifty people guessed it, oh, I didn't and look I at kept the com- going, 
do you not read the other comments? Because this oh, has no. been guessed and hey, shot down hey, 20 times. Hey, this guy doesn't read the I was just, Troy, <laughs> yeah. look, I'm busy. I'm posting and I'm, I'm doing my thing. Um, no, so yeah, I posted on there asking. I said, I think it's about Swiss cheese, but that was like a joke. Okay, so that project you've been alluding to, is, which is a secret, which I don't know because whatever, he doesn't like me. Um, that's another book. Yes. Though. That's what you're saying. Yes. Is that the next book? Yes. It, well, it will be, yes. Okay. Oh, when are we thinking this is going to happen then? Soon. Okay. Well, considering that we're reco- we are recording this, I know you guys are going to hear it till the twenty third, mm-hmm. but we're recording this. It's March sixth. March sixth. Yeah. Um, and at this point, Lisa just found out what it was uh-huh. a couple of days ago because she finally figured it out by zooming into the photo to okay. look. For okay. It. Oh, okay. So I'm gonna have to so, go do that yeah. later. But I'm I'm going to probably. When people hear this, they're probably going to know By what it is because I'm going to offer some more clues soon. Mm, okay. So. You know what? I like this. I like this it was little fun. Sherlock I mean, Holmes kind of I bullshit. Didn't, I mean, doing. that wasn't really the original plan, but then I thought, you know what? I could put a clue. Dude, I li- no, I like I this. could put a clue in this picture you and we'll see if anybody this. can find it. Well, actually, it's super obvious if you find that. If you find the okay, object in the photograph. We're dumb, Troy. I get it. Like, yeah. we're dumb. I've, I it's just it you have shoes. to really look for the clue it's but it is there somebody guessed one of the bottles in uh, that little glass cabinet that's sitting there and actually that was a good one and i did tell them they were on the right track even though that's a that's not the book i'm working on that will be a book later because it was a a tiny little turn of the century Hmm. listerine bottle okay and that's the lambert family out of st louis and at some point that will be a book project but so new book coming this spring later this spring later this spring Forlorn Hope right now is Forlorn out. Hope. That's the Donner, Donner Party, Party book. Is so. this as depressing as I think it's going to be? Uh, parts I, of it are. I know uh, the story. But you know what's great about the story? What's great about the story of the Donner Party is everybody thinks it's just about cannibals, you know, because that's what we that's what became famous sure. because that's the morbid thing out of it. Yeah. But in all honesty, there's such heroism in the story. I mean, some of these, some of the characters, I mean, who are real people, obviously, but I, I call them characters, but some of the people involved in that story are, you know, risk their own lives and not for their families, just for their friends. I mean, there's one guy who was a single guy who was along on the, uh, along on the party. He didn't have a family there. He just cared about the people and, um, he didn't survive. I mean, he, he made it to safety and came back to bring food to Damn. the people he cared about to try to help them and uh, then tried to lead some of them out and didn't make it. Uh, went snow blind in the mountains and and because he knew he was dragging everybody down, he mm-hmm. just gave up Damn. himself so that they could make it. And I mean, this is like a guy who, you know, like I said, had no family in the wagon train. I mean, he he just cared about the people. Yeah. And there were a lot of people like that who risked their lives for both for their families and just for the other people to save them. Mm-hmm. And so it's a it's a really it's a really great story. I mean, of survival and how far will you go to survive? You yeah. Know, what will you do to survive? And there are some despicable people in this yeah. wagon party too who you know, was not worried about anybody but themselves mm-hmm. and would sacrifice anybody to make sure they were okay. Sure. And, um, you know, there's, there's, it's both ends of the spectrum in this group. And yeah. I think that's what made the book so um, interesting to me to write mm-hmm. is because of the different people and all the personalities involved. 
So all of that, you still won't write a fiction book, um, no. it, which is interesting to me. But also, okay, how long How long do you think you would last in a situation like that? Or what role do you think you would take in a fucked up Donner Party kind well, of thing? Well, I, I don't know. I'd like to think I would be one of those people, one of the people who tried to get out with the snowshoes mm-hmm. and to bring help back for other people. Yeah. That's, I'd like to think that I would be in, in like that situation. That. Yeah, I would. Um, I mean, I'm not going to be the guy who completely lost his shit and started eating people for fun. Mm -hmm. You know, um, but if I had to eat someone to survive, I would and and would expect people to do the same to me. Yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah, I mean, we we had this discussion. Yeah, Yeah, I'm dead. If it's going to save your, you know, it's going to save your family or your friends and you're dead anyway. I mean, it's not like they were murdered. Well, for Uh the most part, Mm -hmm. it's not like they were murdering people to eat them. Yeah. It's just when the weakest dropped. They that was the agreement they had that we will do this to survive. Dude, totally, you know, eat me. Yeah, yeah. if I fucking so. die, eat me. But yeah, that's um. So yeah, that would be that would be how I feel it. Anyway, if you want to <laughs> if you want to get recipes um, or anything, uh, the book Forlorn Hope is out now. AmericanHauntings.net. Go check Re- that out. Recipes. So, I hope the book starts with no. The there are no recipes. There are no recipes. So but I did think flesh. actually I did think about putting in some like wagon train. You know what they were cooking on the wagon trains, but I thought. No, Putting no, no. recipes in a book about the Donner Party no, is, is probably not the way to go. Actually, so. it's brilliant. You should have fucking done it. I and mean, you should have put, what is it, sweetbreads or whatever? What is it from <laughs> right, Hannibal right, Lecter and all yeah. that? Dude, you should have put that in there. It would have been so funny, which is actually going to kind of lead into some of our other stuff we're going to talk about here. Um, let's dive into some listener reviews. So, we're Troy, we are almost at 1,000 ratings really? on iTunes. I think wow. it's like 954. Huh. We still have a, a five star. I knew we still have a five star <laughs> oh, rating, which is awesome. Like it, it, with this many ratings, I would imagine it at least dropped to like four point nine or whatever. And it's it's going to as well, I sure. like say this will, or whatever. Yeah. And it's going to happen. And, you know, the more popular you get, that shit goes downhill. But like it bland, it, it feeds boring. My, it feeds my ego. Like okay, I, I love it. Yeah, yeah, I love yeah. it. Um, so I want to dive into some of these reviews. So this first one is from. Uh, Carrie 911 it says uh, it's just titled great just a, just finished season one a little late oh, to the game but I'm ouch. loving it what season one? Oh ouch. yeah yeah uh, Carrie uh, <laughs> it'll uh, get better yeah maybe you skip ahead to season four <laughs> or, you know whatever you do um, but thank you so much that that means a lot this next one's from oh gosh A E T T L 29 I don't even know it's just titled great job um, I'm new to the podcast uh, I'm new to the show and now I'm on the sixth episode and I'm, I'm writing this fucking other one in season one uh, so the stories are so cool keep it up guys I'm definitely I'll keep listening thank you so much that that means a lot um, all right are you ready to dive sure. in oh yeah yeah let's go so this is part one of a, a two-parter that we're going to do let's talk about December 15th 1927 so Marion Parker age 12, and her her twin sister, uh, Marjorie? Marjorie. Marjorie, leave for school. Um, A man tries to lure them into his car. The same man walks into their school, claiming he worked for the Parker's father, Perry. He asked for the younger sister, which should have been a red flag. They're fucking twins. Well, one of them's younger. Well, and you know, and that's the thing. And that's, that's why no one could ever understand. And I don't, I'm not sure how deep I'm going to get into the inquest and the hearings and things because we've only got one more episode on this one, Mm -hmm. but uh, later on, Mrs. Holt is on the stand and I mean, this ruined her life. I'm sure it did. um, Because she never got over it. Yeah. I mean, he, she completely fell apart after this. Because she'd never done anything like this before. Yeah. I mean, they always talked about how strict she was about visitors coming you to the school that. and stuff. And yet this guy comes in and just charms her, 
you know, and she doesn't. And it's easy in hindsight for us to look at this and go, oh, well, you know, she ago. didn't know. You know, how was she supposed to know? It, it seemed, you know, he seemed legitimate. Do you put blame on her? Um, now well, that you know I mean, the whole story? I mean, you, you, you can, you can, but. Do you, though? Well, I don't know. Um, yeah, because she should have been, she should have picked this stuff up. But yeah. on the other hand. You know, I can under- also understand that it's easy for us to look at it in hindsight and go, oh, well, here, you sh- should have caught these things. It was things. a but long time ago. In the moment, you know, mm-hmm. when it was happening, yeah. he was convincing enough that she didn't think twice. Sure. Um, and, you know, I know uh, everyone blamed her. And I think she blamed herself uh, uh, when, uh, you know, everything came out. But, you know, it was it's very upsetting. And I mean, yeah. as, as myself, like I pride myself on being very charming and convincing people to do stuff <laughs> they don't want to do. So that is upsetting. But I even told Troy, like, I will go to my little brother's like uh, his high school in Bethalto. Um, I went there a couple, I don't know, maybe 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 a year ago. And I had to go through two lines of security mm-hmm. and them like and this is before COVID or anything sure. and them being very aggressive like give me your ID give me everything and I was like you know what I'm happy they're doing this and I didn't even know the story but I was like I'm happy they're doing this because it should be really fucking hard. well and you know unfortunately unfortunately it's a it's a too common story when it comes to this stuff I don't know if you remember back when we did our St. Louis season and we did the police station and the yep. and Bobby Greenlee's yep. same thing. Yeah. They just walked in and the 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 woman of the two of the pair walked in and asked for him and they turned turned the kid uh. over and off they went. And they murdered him as soon as they got away from you right. know, from the school. That yeah, that is an interesting part too we talk about where there's a ransom thing kind of going on, but then they murder people in the yeah. middle throughout. So did she actually did she did she actually write those notes or do you or do you know or was it just kind of like yeah i think she did um yeah because she was still alive at that point um he didn't kill her till a little bit later when we'll we'll talk i'll give you more unfortunately i'll give you more details about that in part two uh but yeah i i do think she was still alive at that point so i think that he did convince her to write those notes because he thought that that would move things along but obviously you know, he wanted so fifteen. He wanted fifteen hundred dollars, which nothing. is I know that's the point. What the fuck? He had no intention. Of, you know, the ransom was not important because he killed her before he ever collected the ransom. Right. So he didn't care about the ransom. He wanted to murder this little girl, get a ex- little girl. Will I get an explanation on the next episode, or am I just going to be more upset? And well, and, that's unfortunately that's part of the depravity of the story. Great. Is that cool. there is no good reason. Um, well, of course, it's not good. I mean, either. he had, you know, he had a confrontation with Perry Parker at the bank. Oh, okay. Uh, and so there is that a little bit, but I don't think this was about revenge. I think he made a convenient target. Cool. Um, he knew that he had a daughter. Yeah. And probably didn't know the difference because if he only They're brought twins. in one ba- daughter at a time, he assumed they were the same girl. Mm. So full spoilers. I don't know how this story ends, and yeah. I do that specifically because you didn't read my book. I didn't read your I book. I wrote a whole book on okay. just this case. Troy, Troy, <laughs> write more fucking books. You write so many books. I buy all of them that I can. But here's the thing. I People that always say like, oh, Cody doesn't know what's going on in the show. That's the whole point. So that's why I don't know. So daughter gets kidnapped. Perry finally calls the school later in the day because one twin comes home, but the other doesn't. And apparently that's not alarming. Completely abnormal because she would often stay behind and... Help the, help the teacher clean, clean up the room and, you know, yeah. 
sure. clean the erasers and right. know, the stuff you people kids used to do in 1920. I got the clap erasers back in the day though, and that was like a Friday evening kind of thing, and I loved getting picked for that back in the day. So I kind of do understand, um, but eventually uh, they have to call the school and like see what's going on. And basically, Perry calls the school later in the afternoon, and panic ensues. Yeah, because okay, what man? Well, he calls, what are you talking he calls about? the school, and she's like, "How are you doing? Are you okay yeah, yeah, after yeah, your yeah, accident? Yeah. You know, what are you talking about?" Exactly. So yeah. I, I cannot imagine. And I mean, it's his birthday. They eventually they receive a lot of telegrams. I'm not trying to laugh because the telegrams, but just trying to our whole ta- thing about telegrams. Trying to have talked so much about telegrams. Yeah. There are so many telegrams in this story. Well, it's just this first one. The others come like special delivery letters. Oh, so wait, so the other ones are what's they're the letters. What's the difference between a telegram? Well, and a- the telegram is sent like a. The difference between a telegram and a letter um, is that I mean, someone delivers the telegram, but let's let's just say. Just to put it in modern terms, a telegram was an electronic message that was sent from one office to another office, and then it was delivered by a messenger. Okay, okay so let's okay. put it this way. Oh, yeah, let's yeah, yeah. say that you wanted to send me a text message, but you had to send it to Lisa, mm-hmm. and then Lisa gives me the message. Okay. That's essentially a what a man. telegram would be. So Western Union had offices all over the place. So right. let's say this one was sent from Pasadena. Okay, so somebody walked into the the Western Union office in Pasadena and said, I want to send this message to Perry Parker at, and gives his address, and this is my message. And then, so the guy writes down the message, and then he gets on the telegraph machine and taps out in Morse code, taps out the message to the office that's the closest to the Parker's house. Uh And then a messenger leaves the office and brings it to them. So this was faster than mailing a letter or even doing a special delivery matter. This was faster. Interesting. But it's, but that, that was his high tech. I mean, unless you called somebody, which eventually he will start using the phone, but that was the fastest way of sending messages and you could send them anonymously. Why? why, Okay. But okay. Why? Okay. He did call people eventually. Why, why start out doing it this way? Well, probably, well, he he changes it. He goes from the telegram. Yep. To um to to special delivery letters, and then calls, which a let right then calls later because he's a nut. Um, why? Well, it's a good question. I I couldn't tell you exactly. Um, the the point is is that he does send two telegrams first, uh-huh. uh, from two different places, from two different offices. Is that and to then like disguise and probably address, you right think? right? Well, because okay. it is all anonymous. So then when he sends a special a special delivery letter. Is, is not the same. Yes, that is different because oh a special delivery letter special delivery. means that you go into that. They don't do that anymore. Obviously, we can't even get our damn mail. <laughs> uh, but at the time, you went into the post office, dropped off the letter, and you paid extra, and somebody would go deliver the the letter right then That's because like it was special delivery. First class, so it went first class plus plus plus. Sure, sure. Because sure. they would go deliver the letter like you would deliver a telegram. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Except it was a letter. Right. Uh, which means that no one saw what was in the... See, he sent these two first telegrams because what he had in there was fairly innocuous. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't... But then the letters that he's sending are... Obviously, could get you arrested for what's in those letters. Sure. Um, so by sending sealed letters through the post office and having them delivered the same day... Yeah. It protected his identity further. Um, okay, so let's move on. So... Perry calls the school, realized that, okay, daughter's been kidnapped. They received two telegrams 
appears to be a ransom kidnapping. Police put out a description of the suspect. They receive a letter asking for $1,500, which is nothing. Right. He keeps putting this thing in notes. If you want aid against against yeah, me, ask it. God, not man. Yeah, he puts that on every letter. It's just like his sign-off signature. When Perry Parker contacts the detectives, they can't figure out why he only wants $1,500. Well, actually, America in general, starting in the 1920s, became a huge, there was a huge, just a, a wave of kidnappings taking place across the country because so many of them worked. People were, were getting ransoms and criminals were finding that this was a, a way to make extra money. Really? And into the 30s, after Prohibition especially, gangsters um, like... Um, you know, uh, like the, 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 the Barker gang, it's a specialized in kidnappings. Jesus. Uh, because you could make 30, 40 grand for a couple of days' work, and people would pay it off. The people uh-huh. who had the money would pay the ransoms. Yeah, of course. Um, so you? after, um, you know, after the, you know, with the Lindbergh case, the Bobby mm-hmm. Franks case in Chicago, Ew. that kind of stuff, um, it became... Uh, a real wave of kidnapping. So yeah. the fact that this guy was only asking for $1,500, the reason they couldn't wrap their heads around it is because he didn't care about the ransom. I mean, he was I mean, terrifying. he was a monster, and that's not something they were capable of dealing at with that time. at that time. I mean, they just didn't have the experience of dealing with all uh, of these, you know, complete freaks in California. I mean, as we're, as we're going to see, I mean, there's more episodes coming of some really heinous stuff. California is, you know, they always talk about what a, you know, it's a, it's a magnet for all the kooks and nuts. It absolutely is, you know, especially Southern California. And, you know, this was a guy who was uh, riding the early wave of craziness in LA. Really into Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. yeah, Right. (laughs) And so it was just a case of where they just couldn't, they didn't understand what was going on. I just don't get, if, okay, say you don't want the ransom, right? And you're only in it for the carnage or whatever. Why do the fucking showboat part of it? Because that's all part of it. That's part of it? I mean, that's all it? part of the thrill. I don't get it. Yeah, but it's, that's all part, well, I know, but but that's good that you don't get oh, it. Yeah, because it means that it's not something you're going to do. It also seems like he's not good at what he likes well, he's, to do. And that's the thing. Most of them aren't. And, you know, he obviously has difficulty just, you know, dealing with normal society. Yeah, yeah. Normal so, phone calls. I mean, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, this, this guy doesn't, I mean, that's part of the thrill is... Yeah. You know, it's just as much a thrill to him to mess with Perry Parker and his wife, sure. you know, as it is to, you know, to kill this girl, which is obviously what he wanted to do all along. Oh, sure. And he's it's two birds with one stone kind of thing. You know, it's yeah. it's all part of the same thrill. But we, him. but you think from the evidence there that she did actually write those two I letters. I do. She was still alive okay. at the time that those letters were And then sent. sometime between that part and her getting yeah. fucking dropped off, that's when she mm-hmm. was killed. And f- <sighs> Okay, so, okay, Troy, by the well, end we of... Haven't, we, they haven't found all the pieces yet. You have to wait till the next episode. But mm-hmm. this time she's a head and a torso, and that's it. I can never have a daughter. And that's what... I mean, but that's what her dad finds. Yep. Well, okay, well, I'm probably jumping ahead of yeah, what you no, want to Yeah, no, no, it's great. Here, I'm but. about to cry. Um. So, okay, so by the end... Okay, may I ask you, how pissed am I going to be by the end of episode two? Of, well, you're going to get... I mean, you know, there's... 
there's gonna be he's gonna confess. To I mean, it. I already know what fucking happened. Right, and, but she's, he's she's gonna, dead and dismembered. I already but know he's that. gonna confess to everything, and he is not in any way, shape, or form sorry for what he did. So great. I mean, as cool. I mentioned, yeah, and, awesome. as I mentioned at one point, don't worry, he does go to the gallows, but <laughs> uh, but it's Doesn't still gonna hey has to get there first. And he does go on the run, you know, but, and that's a really long drawn out thing, which I will not cover all of that. I will direct you to the book, but I do want it. There are parts of the story that we need to talk about, which we will in our next episode. (sighs) And we will. Um, So finally, fourth phone call on Friday night, they, they hear a voice, keeps hanging up, keeps hanging up, follows the instructions to the drop site. Nothing happens because the police followed Followed him. Followed in there poorly. Poor, apparently, there. apparently poorly. If this idiot can figure out that right. they're like following him, right. so you know it's like, hey guys, this is your job, but like, chill back yeah. like a, a little bit. Right. Um, news of the abduction eventually breaks on Saturday morning. Um, I guess we're going to get into this more on the next episode. But Herman Klein, aka Hard Boiled Herman, yeah, chief of detectives, classic 1920s LA detective, sounds. Dope. Uh, uh, like uh, he's like awesome, right out of a just you know, chain smoking beat camera, the hell out of you. Know, my camera Mickey Spillane story. Yeah, you yeah. Know, I, I love it. Yeah. Uh, work closely with fellow um, chief of detectives. I want to ask you how this works. How do you have multiple chief of detectives? Is it like by district? Yeah, these are chief- different. Yeah, they're different. I mean, one's LAPD, another one's a different district. Okay, so, so George Contreras. Yeah, he, in his uh, his precinct, he's chief of detectives. So okay, it's a couple of guys. They called so many people in to work on this. They had a lot of different cops from different divisions and sure. different districts and probably LA County Sheriff. And they had a lot of different people mixed in because once you get out of the actual, um, you know, the, the precinct or the, you know, the, the actual city like of Los Angeles, something, then or? you get the County Sheriff people okay. and stuff. So you get a lot of, and, and sometimes that can be a real problem yeah. uh, because, you know, you've got people from different jurisdictions yep. walking all over each other. But in this particular case, they worked pretty well together. Now, later mm-hmm. on, we'll talk about a couple of other cases that things don't go so well, yeah. but for the most part in this one, they did because it involved a, a child. And I think that made a huge difference. Kind of like in our last episodes, uh, you had a lot of different cops from a lot of different precincts were in there, but they were looking for the three little girls. Yeah. So that, especially then, made a huge difference. Another two letters arrive on that Saturday morning. One's from the kidnapper, one from the child. Two more letters arrive later that day, and like we just talked about, kind of both from the kidnapper. So... It seems like you kind of like what fucked up about the different amounts of money. I, I, well, yeah, what, what, yeah I just made a note of that there? because I wanted people to know that's not a typo. That was just him. I mean, out of his mind at sure. that point. At that point, uh, I he had already killed her. Right. I mean, when he sent that second letter, she was already dead. Okay, but again, we can cut this all if we need to. But like, wait, wait, but how do you know? I know you kind of know the time frame when she died, but do we know, like, is, am I going to find out in part two? God damn it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Then I'm not. Okay. <clears throat> this is so frustrating for me because <laughs> oh. I'm a listener and a participant. Okay. So a third letter arrives titled Final Chance Terms. Uh, a few minutes after a little girl written a second letter, her parents kidnapped her, killed her. Like you said, around sundown, they received a call, then another at 7.15 with meeting instructions. Uh, the kidnapper pulls up with the sawed-off shotgun. Um, I don't know if anybody's ever had a gun put in their face. There is like a, a thing where people talk about you don't see 
the person holding the gun and whether it's a sword. Well, that's the thing. Order. I mean, yeah, he's he's aiming a, a, a shotgun propped on the edge of the door frame at his face with the girl in between. And he's yes. got a, you know, a bandana around his yes. face. So. so, yes, in that position, I would do whatever that right. person said. And he did. I mean, he just wanted the, the you know, his daughter. Back, of course. You know. So he shows Perry his daughter, claims she's asleep. Kidnapper pulls forward, uh, eventually pushes the body out of the car, speeds off. Said something felt off about his daughter. This is because she was missing her fucking arms and her legs. Yeah. You said, and I quote, on the verge of complete collapse, Perry Parker found a telephone and he called the chief of detectives, Herman Klein. Within minutes, the greatest manhunt in the city's history had begun. That's where we're going to pick up again in two weeks, but like... Yeah, I mean, Damn, I think dude. by this, I think by this point, and as we'll talk about in the next episode, I think by this point that the police were so, you know, a couple of these guys, especially like Herman Klein, were so wrapped up in this case that they were taken in personally. Well, he, he was taken off do, other things to do this yeah, case, when right? They, or was it when the they, guy? when they, they get things rolling with this in the in beginning of our next episode, uh, they're they're after everybody. I mean, mm. they hunted down thousands of people before they. And they eventually find him out of state because he does something stupid. Nope, Actually, nope, we've got a nope, kind of a run nope. of a few episodes here that there isn't a lot of funny about. But oh, th- they're okay. all part of the history, and there's ghost stories involved, and there there's stuff we need to cover. But, yeah, it's not a lot of humor. <laughs> it's not. And people that already think I'm not funny, and then I'm trying to, like, figure out ways yeah. to be funny. And yeah. um, Anyway, it is now time. Okay, it's now time to move on uh, to our Patreon shoutouts. So this, these are the people that make the show sound better than yes. it has, you know, yes. compared to season one. Troy and I actually talked about that the other day about you yeah. know people listening to season one and we're like, okay, <laughs> I know. We keep, I always tell when people forward. tell me that I'm always like, honest, it gets better. It so. does. It does. So thank you so much. You help us do what we do. But I just want to give a quick shout out to Andrew, Frank, Amy, Lindsay, Susan, Marie, Sabrina, Julie, and Amy again. Um, so thank you so much for supporting the show. We really appreciate it. It's now so. time for our Ghost Riders segment. If you have a question or comment about the world of macabre, you can email us at AmericanHauntingsPodcast at gmail.com. Our first email comes to us from Joey. He says, hi, guys. My name is Joey. I uh, just wanted to drop an email saying how much I love your podcast. Troy's historical knowledge is just top drawer and very informative. I really enjoy the banner with Cody. Thank you so much. And just uh, really appreciate the recap questions for Troy because I don't always comprehend every detail until it's explained in your conversation. Hello, thanks for the point. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, he yeah, gets I, it. I, I, you, you get it, Joe. Yeah. You get it. Um, I have a little over an hour drive to work, a one way, five days a week. Uh, I listen to the show on Pandora while ripping uh, up and down the highway <laughs> and look forward to each new episode. My favorite episodes were about the railroad axe murders, and uh, I'd never heard of before listening to the podcast i was wondering if troy will ever do a season about the old west tombstone dodge city deadwood fort smith etc i would absolutely love to listen to some haunted history from that era take care guys troy what are we doing next yeah i'm gonna well it's i'm not gonna tell tell you what we're doing next but that that's something that'll be down the line for sure because i mean i love that that kind of stuff yeah and uh, I think that's one of the reasons I enjoyed working on this Donner Party book so much is because I finally got to do some stuff about the Old West. So it'll be coming. 
Uh, I don't know. I can, I'm not going to commit to when because yeah. I've already got what I want to do for the next season oh, in boy. mind. But and you that's won't tell something me. that we will be we will be heading in that direction. Okay. So, yes. All right. So I guess we're going down south. I don't know. I'm on the same no, boat as you, dude. You. Like I don't. I don't know. I'm sorry. And also, like I, I might know, change my mind. You, of course. You, <laughs> yeah, of course. That's a, that's we like, might do this season like, for like, 47 I know, more episodes. I know. It's hard to say how long this season will go. I don't so. know. So yeah, we still have a couple more. Um, so here's the thing, like people. Sorry, you send me these reviews and emails and everything, and I put them on here, but it's really hard to read sometimes. So, like, I, I don't want to misinterpret anybody or anything, but like, hey, I really, I really appreciate all, all the things we have. So, um, one more, or actually two more that I wanted to do. This one's called New Form on my new favorite podcast. This one's from Katie. It's just titled My New Favorite Podcast. It said, Stumbled upon you guys while looking for Hollywood history podcast. Is that a thing people too, but looking for a Hollywood history podcast. Um, I've now binged every day at work for the last three weeks. I'm almost out of episodes and I'm kind of freaking out. Love everything about the show. History, ghost humor, you guys have it all. Please never stop making episodes. I'm a fan for life. Uh, Katie, that's like the nicest thing ever. So thank you so much. Like, that's amazing. Um, that's where we are. Troy, we received yeah, I got a an handwritten actual, an actual letter. letter in the mail. Um, what does that feel well, like? Well, it's a letter from Eric, and I'm I it's I'm leaving part of it out because it it seemed too personal. Sure, and yep, I don't want to yep. embarrass it. And we do we um, do that on purpose. Yeah, yeah. But he did write um, anyway. I wanted to thank you for everything you've done to make the last year of my life bearable. I fully acknowledge that statement was incredibly dramatic, but it's quite simply <laughs> the truth. I discovered the podcast at the end of 2017, and I've been a loyal listener ever since. But during the pandemic, I came to rely upon your books, Facebook posts, Instagram, etc. They provided me with something to look forward to and transport me from the isolation of quarantine to Villisca, New Orleans, and now Los Angeles. Um, thanks for all you've done and everything you do. Um, thank you for steering me in the direction of Mark Nesbitt when I sent in my question mm. about the Jenny Wade house in Gettysburg last summer. Uh, as a huge Civil War buff, it was very much appreciated to be introduced to more work on the topic. And I can't wait to read One Night in Washington, which I recently acquired as a gift. And then I'm putting this in for you. I should also thank Cody for his work on the <sighs> podcast. And I have to admit, I enjoyed his puns from Dead of Winter. Hey. So anyway, thank you, Eric, for sending that. And... Um, I, it was it was kind of except you know you get a letter sometimes you get a letter in the mail and you aren't sure what's no, going to be in there you know like human fingers or something right. but um, no instead I got a nice note from Eric so it was nice so, so we're going to give out it. Eric's home address right now right? Uh, we are not uh, but I did appreciate getting a letter from him and uh, I wanted to respond to him Dude, that's on awesome. the podcast so he would hear it <laughs> but when you get something like that like you and I don't talk about that like but like that. I mean, we're in season five. Yeah. That kind of stuff has helped me keep going Well, that's on why and, we and keep, keep doing it. Do it. Yeah. Right? And, and when we do events or we're out on tour or whatever, and people tell me how much they like the podcast, yeah. then it's like, okay, great. You know, let's, uh, you know, I'm glad that we do it. And, and I'm glad we do it because it's fun. Uh, but I mean, if every review or every note we got was like that one, yeah. um, no, I wouldn't do it anymore because sure. what would be the point? So right. it's nice to hear from people who appreciate it. I mean, I'm not looking for any more than you are. I mean, we laugh or, you know, and stuff about when people say nice things, but sure. we're not, we don't do this to get stroked by people. No. You know, we do it because we enjoy doing it and it's no nice. Money that, in that. It's not, yeah, <laughs> it's nice that people appreciate it and, and like it. I mean, cause we're, we do it to hoping to enter entertain people so if we yeah. do that's great you know if we didn't then we wouldn't do it 
I yeah. mean, it, because it would stop being fun for us exactly. if everybody just bitched about it all yeah. the time. So, and, yeah, you I, know, um, it's nice. It's nice to hear from people. It's nice to get a nice note from somebody, you know, who um, I mean, and let's be honest for us. It was it was something that was great for us during the last year yeah, of the pandemic yeah. as well. We had it stuff to look forward sane. to, right? Yes. We had things to look forward to to get to do, yeah. you know. So um, yeah, I mean, I think that's what it's all about. Is I mean, my whole business is about providing an escape from people from real life. I mean, yes, we talk about horrific things sometimes, but you know, but I'm talking about something that happened in the 1920s. It's an interesting you know, way to think about but it. But it is an escape. I mean, it is yeah. it is outside your ordinary life of, of yeah. you know, maybe working from home with your kids, you know, learning from home and you can't go anywhere, you can't do anything. And every time you go out, you've got to wear masks and you've got to avoid everybody because you don't want to get sick. This has been a really trying year for everyone. Sure. Now there's light at the end of the tunnel, finally. That's not an oncoming train. <laughs> and mm, one day. Yeah. And it's, you know, we're finally getting toward the end of this thing. But this has been an escape for all of us, I think. You yeah. know, I know it has been for, for you and I. And, uh, and I think it has been for a lot of our listeners, too. And, you know, and, I, and now I think a lot of people have found something new. You know, sure. I mean, they found something new that will now be an escape from ordinary life when the pandemic is over. Yeah. You know, everybody still needs an escape. I mean, it's the reason I watch so many movies, you know, um, just because we all, you know, we all want an escape. And speaking of movies, I got to give you just a quick... Uh, recommendation of something. Let's put it on record. Um, record. What do you got? uh, got? God, the name of this movie was, I just watched Mm -hmm. the other night. I've liked, I really liked the new wrong turn, the new version of it. Yeah. You said that it's really different. Okay. um, I I mean, the original one was like hillbilly cannibals. Well, I want to ask you, I don't, I don't like, I don't like rape revenge. Well, this is not what this is. Okay. Um, Now it's a, it's a whole different animal this time around. They've taken it in a whole different direction. Okay. So I kind of liked it, but if you just want to watch something, and I told you about um, uh, Bloody Hell. I told yeah. you for something crazy. Yeah, yeah, If you just want to watch something as batshit bonkers, uh-huh. Shadow in the Cloud. Shadow it's in the Cloud. It's got er, uh, Chloe Grace Moretz, and it takes okay. place during World War II, okay. and it's on a B-17 bomber. What? And this it movie? has, yes, it's all set on this bomber. And a movie? It's, there's like five different things going on. There's all on these different plots running at the same time. What? She shows up. This bombing mission is taking off. She shows up with these papers that show that she's some kind of special secret something. Sure. And she's supposed to be on the flight. Nobody wants her there. And she's got this suitcase that no one can open because it's top secret and it has to be kept level and it has to be kept safe. And sure. one of the guys is like, oh, yeah, I'll take care of it for you. Don't yeah. worry. I'll make sure it's OK. And all the rest of the guys are real jerks right. because they don't want a broad on their plane. And so <laughs> yeah, there's no, no place for her to sit. So they stick her down in the in the bubble underneath the plane where the machine gun is. They make her sit down there for takeoff and stuff. And she can hear them over the headset talking about her, making bad comments and stuff. And that's kind of how it takes off. Uh But this is one of those movies where there is something happens from about the point they take off 
it never stops moving. Really? The whole thing is boom, 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 boom. And there's something going on all the time. There's all these different subplots hmm. and it twists and it twists and it twists and nothing that it starts out as is what's yeah. really happening. Okay. All right. And all it's, right. um, and then, it, you know, then the, they're being attacked by Japanese bombers and she, you know, is the, uh, they don't believe her that she saw these, these fighter planes. She, they don't believe her. And then the next thing you know, she turns around and she's got the machine gun going blowing planes out of the sky (laughs) and then they believe it and they can't believe that she can shoot like that and you know how to pull a trigger and 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 because this is in the uh this is in the in the trailer i'm not giving it away yeah yeah there's a gremlin on the plane now at the beginning i know at the beginning of this all legit they've got they've got real newsreels from world war ii the guys are talking about gremlins now but in the terminology of World War II, when there was a gremlin on your plane, oh. it just means that you got you, there's a problem that right, you can't right, track right. down. Except in this case, it's an actual monster. Before the time that gremlins were like, this is <laughs> no, not like a gremlin like from Grim. This oh, is like oh. a monster with like wings. It looks like a giant bat, and it's a monster, oh. and it's trying to bring down the plane. It's like uh, ripping wires loose okay. and tearing out the engine. Uh, okay, and, and she's radioing this. up to the the cockpit and saying there, Troy. there's something on the plane. There's something on. Nobody believes her. Lisa, did you see this? No, she didn't see. Okay, it. but I, it just but it just keeps going from there. And there's one there's one batshit twist after another through the whole thing. This movie is so much fun. It's just, What's the title again? It's Shadow in the Cloud. This Talk. is one of those just crazy okay. action horror things. What would you compare it to? I, I don't know. Nothing? I got nothing. Not even I, the one with the shotgun in the house and all no, the weird shit? I, I got nothing to compare this to. It comes There are so many like... weird things that are going on in this movie. Okay. And there's just like, and you like, there's it, like five or six different twists where all of a sudden right, they've, completely, they've completely changed everything that's going on with one move okay now it's all something else okay. like the briefcase oh, the, sh- sure the guys sure. on the plane the right. who she is all this stuff i'm gonna watch it this weekend if i i'm i'm gonna be so mad at you if i don't if there's if you terrible. go into it knowing that this is a fun movie to watch okay okay there's 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 no way you don't enjoy it because okay. it's just you just don't don't go into it thinking that you're getting ready to watch, yeah, no, okay. you okay, know, fair enough, um, fair enough. Hereditary or The Lodge or something. Well, you know, I mean, yeah, go into yep, it yep. that you're going to be watching something crazy um, and you'll have fun with it. This, I had a blast. I love this. Well, movie. this is something you and I haven't talked about at all. And I don't, so I don't know if you care, but do you care at all about Justice League and the Snyder Cut and all that? I'm going to watch it. Yeah. Hell yeah. I'm going to watch I mean, it. I mean, I liked, I mean, Justice League was it was what it no, was. No, it was terrible. Just like I sucked. Didn't, I didn't love it. Uh, well, I didn't. I didn't think it was terrible, but I didn't really like it. No, it was I good. preferred if you, if I had to compare, mm-hmm. I preferred the Batman versus Superman director's cut. Yeah, yeah. Of I course. must have been like one of the few people in the world who no, actually liked that movie. I liked that it movie. too. I liked everybody it. bitched about, about it. I mean, yes, there was a stupid part when. Both of their mothers were named Martha, but Martha. still. The Martha um, cut? Yeah, the Martha cut. But- no, okay, actually, no, sorry. What I wanted to say is my, my co-worker wrote a book about the Snyder Cut. Oh, okay. It's by Sean O'Connell. Doesn't um, it start like next week? Are they running the, are they putting no, the whole thing out or are they doing it like no, a they, weekly? No, they're, they're doing the whole thing. It's okay, like good. four hours or whatever, putting yeah. out HBO Max. But yeah, my, I'm going to watch it. My co-worker put a book out. I don't know what it's called. Release the Snyder Cut, whatever. he's. If you just search Release the Snyder Cut, okay. you'll find him and do his, the, the whole thing. 
look it up. He's a great guy. We have a lot of videos on Cinnabon about that. But I'm going to watch the shit out of that thing. Okay, well, I think that we can wrap things up. If you uh, subscribe to Patreon, you've got some bonus episodes heading your way. If you don't subscribe to our Patreon feed, you should. Or we wish you would or yeah, something please. because we do try to uh, to do some bonus stuff and, to, you know, do some different things with that. So um, I recorded a bunch of those. If you uh, if you like the show, which we hope you do because, well, you're listening to it. So if you do like it, tell your friends, spread the word. If you haven't left us a review, feel free to do so. And uh, we'd love it if you did. Thanks yeah. a lot, guys. Yeah, I feel like since you went on so many tangents this time, I'm just going to let everybody just like relax and just understand that this episode of the American Hogs Podcast was oh, written by Troy I don't Taylor. Know why you bother to do that? You know me, I'm Cody just going to interrupt you. The show airs every other week, offering that, history, so. hauntings, folklore, legends, and the truth as we look what into America's darkest corners. Superfluous, <laughs> superfluous. <laughs> Check out the Indeed. website at AmericanHauntingsPodcast.com for show notes, more about the episodes, and links to more from American Hauntings. If Cody bothers to update. And sometimes I do. And it's not just a podcast. It's books, it's tours, events, Troy's humor, and more. And our main yeah. website is AmericanHauntings.net. And if you want even more from us, ever you can become a supporter of the podcast. On No one claims you're funny. Uh, on no, Patreon, I, I certainly don't. You can get a bonus episode of the show. You can get t-shirts, discounts, great stuff in the mail. And can you hurry more. up? I Thanks really to our need to use we the We have bathroom. upgraded our equipment for the show. And with continued help from you, we can dedicate more time and resources to creating even more shows in the future. So take a minute and check it out. We think you'll like what you find at Patreon.com slash AmericanHauntings. Be sure to get in touch if you have any comments about the show, suggestions, God. reviews, jokes, or just want to tell us what you really think of us. We're reachable via email, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and by Carrier Pigeon. Until next time. Telegram. Candygram. We forgot to. Candygram. 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 Anyway, goodbye. So long. See you later. Bye. Hi. I really do have to pee. All in a fucking day's work. That was an hour. That was an hour.